Charismatic, passionate, has integrity, humble, servant, faithful, inspiring, persevering, positive, flexible, driven. This is who we are that call ourselves leaders. Helping business leaders grow themselves, their team, and their profits. This is the Entree Leadership Podcast. Now, here is your host, Ken Coleman. Coming to you from the Music City, this is the podcast of leaders, by leaders, and for leaders. I'm Ken Coleman. We'd love for you to connect with us on Twitter, at Entree Leadership, and at Ken Coleman. You can also email us, podcast at EntreeLeadership.com. We have a fantastic podcast coming up for you today. Our feature conversation is with Jay Baer, the best-selling author of Utility, Why Smart Marketing is About Help, Not Hype. And to tease, we're going to give away 50 copies of Jay's best-selling book, Utility, after the conversation, so you want to stay tuned for that. That's right, I did not stutter. We've upped our game from five free books to 50 free books, thanks to Jay and his publisher. Stay tuned for that. And we're going to go from the big shot best-selling author, and we're going to take you into Main Street as we talk with the owners of The Purple Guys, Jill and John Schramm. Incidentally, they happen to be Entree Leadership Master Series alums, and you're going to really be encouraged by this conversation. Uh, and also, I'm really thrilled here to announce the winners of Dan Pink's book, To Sell as Human. Now, if you're just kind of catching up, we offered five free books of Dan's best-selling book, the latest one, and uh, here's how it works. We ask you to tweet a short phrase. And this particular phrase was the at Entree Leadership Podcast sold me. And I want to just give a shout out real quick to our five winners, Dan Colbert, Christopher Battles, Elmer Booten, Juan Cologne, and Trent Newman. Gentlemen, congrats on winning the books. And uh, folks, stay tuned. We want to keep giving away more books. And as I said, we're giving away 50 copies of Jay Bear's best-selling book, Utility, later in the podcast. I want to mention very quickly, we announced last podcast, a brand new event, Entree Leadership Summit. This is going to be an unbelievable few days out in Southern California. The website, entreeleadership.com slash summit. Dave has asked his good friends, John Maxwell, Patrick Lencioni, Rabbi Daniel Lapp, and Dr. Henry Cloud, and our team to join him, and it is going to be really exciting. In fact, we haven't even announced this publicly. Our podcast audience, the only people have heard about it, and i got to tell you, the response, Eric told me, was unbelievable. People wanting to know. So again, entreeleadership.com slash summit to get the details there. And of course, our Entree Master Series, All Access, our Entree Leadership One Days, anything you need to know about our events and the great content there to encourage you, entreeleadership.com. All right, folks, excited about a new segment where we take articles, information, things that are happening, and we try to apply them to the conversation that we are having on this podcast and also to your realities. We call it In the News. I saw a recent article on Forbes.com by Joshua Stymie. It's entitled, What is Content Marketing? And this is very, very relevant to the conversation we will have on this podcast with Jay Bear in Utility. So let's define content marketing. The Content Marketing Institute, an online resource for information on everything content marketing, defines the phrase content marketing as this. Content marketing is a marketing technique of creating and distributing valuable, relevant, and consistent content to attract and acquire 
a clearly defined audience with the objective of driving profitable customer action. In other words, your target audience. Stymie goes on in the piece to say that if people want to consume your content rather than avoid it, that is the smell test, right? If you're putting out content that you think is valuable and you think your audience wants to consume, but they actually aren't consuming it and thus finding it valuable, then it's not good content marketing. Stymie cites in this Forbes.com article, this is great. I don't know if many of you have seen the Volkswagen 2014 game day commercial. Now, this article was written about a week ago, uh, so or middle September. And at the time on YouTube, it had had 18 million plus views. So it's already passed the smell test. People are finding it valuable because they are watching it. And so Stymie goes on to ask us, is this an ad, this game day commercial, or is it content marketing? He says it's both, and he's absolutely right. Why? Well, I just mentioned it. Very simple. If you've got 18 million views on anything, people find it valuable, even if it's just entertaining. Well, Ken, you know, it's just a fun commercial. Yes, that's been consumed 18 million times. Thus, try to compute the branding dollar. The branding dollar, the branding value alone on a viral piece like that. It's unbelievable. And here's, I just want to pause here for a second, because listen, you have to ask yourself at times, am I trying to get branding or am I trying to get an actual sale? Because many times it's the branding that will give you the leads that hopefully you can convert to the sale. Don't get all caught up in trying to do everything. What is it that you really need to do? So uh, this is a great piece. By the way, I want to tell you again the name of the article if you want to look at the whole article. It's What is Content Marketing? On Forbes.com, Joshua Stymie, the author of the article. He gives five content marketing examples that I want to roll through really quick that I think will help you. Number one is an infographic. These are generally long vertical graphics that include statistics, charts, graphs, and other information. So this is an example. An infographic is just straight up value. Think about it. People are out there looking for helpful, reliable, relevant content. An infographic can do it. Secondly, a web page. Now, I want you to go with me on this because Stymie does a nice job here in, in defining what, what he means by web page. Not your company website per se, but what about a specific website, maybe within your company website? A normal web page and a web page that is content marketing are very different. Stymie sources the beginner's guide to SEO from Moz, a provider of SEO-related tools and resources. Listen to this. This free website has been viewed millions of times, bringing countless customers to Moz. So the idea is, what can you give away for free as far as information? That's a website that's very easily shareable, very easily accessed, and beyond. You can just do a simple web page within your website. Incidentally, if you want to offer like a free PDF or something like that on your website, same idea there. Something that is shareable, easily consumable, and it provides terrific information. Uh, Third is podcast. Hello, you listen to the Entree Leadership Podcast. There's a reason. We are providing you value, and it's free. That's huge. Create a podcast. Doesn't have to be the you know world's greatest production value, but if it has content that helps people, there's some content marketing. Videos. Gary Vaynerchuk just exploded when he began to do YouTube videos about his family's wine business. And finally, books. And by the way, not just a published book. You could self-publish something, or you could do an ebook. My goodness, you can go on Apple and iBooks, and you can create your own ebook. You've got talented technology people, designers, graphic designers, you can create an ebook. 
I've said this, I'm a published author. My book One Question came out last April. It has been more of a brochure than anything else for me. A brochure about who I am, what I believe, why I ask questions, why I love doing interviews. It's a brochure. So final thought here, uh, and again, I can't recommend this article enough. What is content marketing? You really need to do a deep dive on this. I'm giving you just an overview here by Josh Stimey. Final thought here. He says, why do we do content marketing? Here's simple four reasons. You ready? Awareness. Customer may not be aware that you have a solution. Research. When customers know about a solution, they look for research. You can help in that. And by the way, if they research and they use your stuff for research and they like your research, now they've trusted you. Why wouldn't they buy from you? Third is consideration. Once the customer starts comparing different products, they know what you stand for, what you're about. And finally, people want to buy. Customers make their decisions then they move forward. And you can provide value all the way through those four steps. So anyway, just a quick thought there. Content marketing really matters. And you got to figure out how to do it because the big conversation we're having on this podcast is with Jay Bear. His book, Utility, I love the subtitle, Why Smart Marketing is About Help, Not Hype. Because so much in 2014 is about hype. Think about every walk of society. Hype here, hype there. We have reality TV stars who are multiple millionaires worth hundreds of millions of dollars based sheerly on hype. You help people, you're going to win. All right, there's our first in the news, Eric. The article, What is Content Marketing by Josh Stimey on Forbes.com. Check it out. I know it will really help you. Folks, I've told you about it. Jay Bear. This book, Utility, Why Smart Marketing is About Help, Not Hype, was put on my desk. And I got to tell you, the title sucked me in. And I dove into the book and said, we've got to have Jay on the podcast. And we got him set up. And uh, he is the president of Convince and Convert, Social Media and Content Accelerator. This book, a best-selling book, this guy understands digital marketing to help people. And thus the title. Here is the conversation with Jay Bear. Well, Jay, I want to get right to this book and what it's about. For those who have not seen the book Utility, Why Smart Marketing is About Help, Not Hype, tell us what you set out to do with this book. Why did it burn a hole in you to the point that you wanted to write a book called Utility? What does that mean? Utility, and I should note that that's spelled Y-O-U-tility, and people try and look that up online and don't put the Y-O-U in the front, they won't find it. It's uh, Y-O-U-tility. And the reason I wrote the book is that I've, I've been in marketing now for 25 years, and marketing is hard. It's harder today than it was yesterday, and it's going to be harder again tomorrow. Uh, consumer behavior has changed. Technology has changed. Competition is higher than ever, especially for attention. And I looked around and said, you know, the old way of doing things just doesn't work anymore. And all these companies, whether they're entrepreneurs or larger brands, are faced with the same problem, which is how do we break through this invitation avalanche, right, where every consumer is being asked to like and follow and click and watch and subscribe. How do you win in that game? And there's a lot of advice out there and that people you know, say, well, just go be amazing. What you need to do is be amazing. Right. Uh, if, if it was easy to be amazing, everybody would be. And so I don't think being amazing is the answer. And I looked around and I said, you know what people are succeeding with is just being useful. Mm. Maybe you should stop being amazing and start being useful. And once I started thinking about that concept, I started to see examples of utility everywhere. And the definition of utility is quite simple. Utility is marketing so useful that people would pay for it. 
Boy, that's good. It's marketing with so much intrinsic and inherent value that if you said, hey, would you kick in a couple dollars for this? People would say, yeah, mm. you know what? I actually would. It's marketing that people cherish instead of what we've been doing for a thousand years, which is marketing that people simply tolerate. That's right. Or ignore. You know, absolutely. because more, more so ignore these days. Absolutely. Now, I want to stay here for a minute, Jay, because that's a wonderful statement. Um, this idea that marketing that is so valuable or so useful that people would pay for it. And I think at first blush, you hear that statement, you go, oh, wait, 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 wait. I really believe in my product. I really believe in our mission. I believe in our services so much that I just want to shout it from the mountaintop. And that's not inherently bad, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But what you're saying is marketing that is so useful that people pay for it is ultimately you're giving value, not a tagline, correct? Explain that. What does marketing that is useful look like? The problem with most marketing today is that it's about products and services. That's right. And your products and services are not that interesting. Um, one of the key facets of utility is giving yourself permission, and I use that word intentionally, giving yourself permission to make the story bigger. Mm. Nobody in the history of the world has ever needed socks, but everybody in the history of the world has needed their feet to be warmer. That's right. And and I'll tell you, I think you'll appreciate this. Um, the very first time I ever started getting my head around a utility, this is, this is exactly how it happened. So I was in Canada. Uh, my son's a hockey player, and we were up there at hockey camp. And we were in Banff, uh, which is in Alberta, you know, small uh, little tourist town up there, beautiful area. And because there's so many tourists in Banff, there's lots of bars and restaurants. And because there's all the bars and restaurants, there's lots of taxi drivers. But there's only one taxi driver in Banff who is a utility, and that's Taxi Mike. So what this guy does... He doesn't, you know, try and advertise himself as a taxi driver. Once a quarter, he makes the where-to-eat guide for Banff. It's just a regular 8.5 by 11 sheet of paper that he uh, creates on his laptop, folds it up, gets it copied at, at uh, FedEx, and then hands it out at all the bars and restaurants there. So when you're in Banff, you'll see this. It's very yellow, bright yellow paper. It's on the front counter of all the bars and restaurants, like the hostess stand. Wow. And I grabbed one, and I said, what is this? Uh, best place for cheap drinks, best sports bar, best outdoor patio. He's like a one-man trip advisor, one-man Yelp. And he has a map of downtown on the front, so you kind of know where these different places are. And then right on the front cover, it says Taxi Mike and his phone number, 760-1052. So you grab these, first place you're in all night, and then you've got it in your pocket all night. It's got a map of downtown. It's got this directory. It's portable. And at the end of the night, when you need a taxi, you're like, hey, Taxi Mike, here's my man right That's here. Right. So he's not that. talking about his, his products and services. He's telling a bigger story. Now, would you pay for that if somebody said, hey, would you spend $2 to get uh, a list of all the best places to go in this town written by the number one taxi driver in town? Absolutely you would. People gladly spend $30 on a guidebook. That is a brilliant story. Jay, I want to stay here. This is so good because I'm thinking about the taxi thing. If you go to a new city, we have a lot of business leaders that are traveling all the time, Jay, and you go to a place like that, and you'd love to know a couple great haunts to go get a, a great meal or something like that. And yet when you think taxi, you're, you're never thinking taxi is your first four or five answers. If we were playing Family Feud, they wouldn't be a top answer, right? No, I'm going right. to call a taxi. Right. But because this guy has put this out there, he has, I want you to talk about the trust he created, where normally you wouldn't trust a taxi guy to tell you a great place. Uh, but talk about how he's created trust in that very simple guide. 
Well, information creates trust, and and especially information that is radically transparent, right? Where he he just puts it all out there. He just lists. It's not. It's not. Here's my recommendation for best sports bar. It's here's the five best sports. That's bars. right. So so his transparency is is almost by being comprehensive. But you said the magic word. Trust is the prism through which all business success must pass. And, and without trust, marketing doesn't matter, price doesn't matter, customer service doesn't matter, nothing else matters. And today, in an environment where everybody is carrying around a smartphone so they have access to all the world's information in their pants, people can look up stuff whenever they want, and they do. They constantly look things up. And so the truth always comes out. You can't hide the truth about your company. If you have some customer service problem or a bad product or, a, or an employee that goes off the rails, you can't hide that. And so what smart companies do is they are gaining trust by being radically transparent, by getting out in front. I mean, look at Domino's Pizza, right? Everybody knows Domino's. Here's Domino's entire corporate positioning right now. Our pizza used to suck. <laughs> That's right. Now, now, not so much. That's their entire strategy. And since they moved to that positioning, they've had eight consecutive quarters of increasing stock prices. Mm. because transparency and honesty builds trust. Boy, that is so true. I want to read a quote, Jay, and have you talk about it, because this is a, a wonderful bow on part of this conversation that we're having. It's from Joe Chernoff. It's from the book, and Joe's the vice president of marketing of a cloud backend development company uh, called Kenvey, if I'm saying that correct. Uh, Convey, I think you said they say, yeah. Convey, all right. We don't want to butcher that. Uh, and here's the quote, and it's right on line with this. This is from the book, folks, Utility. If you create something that somebody would pay for, but you give it away, not only are you building trust and a debt of gratitude, but you shock them into sharing it. They share not only the asset itself, which is inherently valuable to the brand, but they share the fact that they are surprised that a brand would just give it to them and not try to sell them along the way. Boy, he is, he is so right about that. And, and, and the, the key to that the giving it away, right? The, the notion of treating like treating marketing like a product, essentially, that requires real courage, real courage yeah. to, to create something that's truly valuable, give it away, and not necessarily tie it to a sales action. That requires real fortitude, and a lot of people just simply don't have it. Now, I want to fast forward into the book, because we can't cover the entire book utility here on this podcast, but there's some wonderful stuff I want to get to, and I want to do a Cliff Notes version, Jay. I'm going to tee you up, and I want you to help our listeners understand what you're doing in the book, because we want them to get the book and dive deep here. But let's go to the, uh, part two of the book, and you lay out three facets of utility. We've been talking about the book and, and what it really looks like, and you say there are three facets. Let's start real quick. I'm going to tee you up uh, with chapter four and the first facet of utility, and that is self-serve information. We've been kind of talking a little bit about that, but what do you mean by self-serve? Well, as, as we mentioned, everybody has a smartphone now. Smartphone penetration in the U.S. is upwards of 70%. Uh, mobile data usage doubled last year in the U.S., doubled in one year. So today, there's no barrier to research. There's no friction to learning. Your customers are hyper-researching things like never before. Uh, this is especially true in B2B, where the new research shows that 70% of the purchase decision has been made before a prospect ever contacts the company. Wow. So they're doing all the research themselves, 
And then when they can't figure out any more answers, then they actually call or fill out the contact us form. There's some fantastic research from Google that shows that the amount of information customers need before purchasing has doubled uh, recently, right? So, so you have to provide more and more and more and more information uh, online, self-serve for your customers. If you think you have enough information right now, I guarantee you, you do not. Mm. All right, second facet, radical transparency. I love this. What does radical transparency look like? Yeah, so it, it looks like it looks like Domino's saying, you know what, our pizza wasn't any good. Uh, now it's better. It looks like uh, Taxi Mike saying, here's all the different restaurants uh, in Banff, and here's what I think about them. Uh, radical transparency. Perhaps my favorite example is from McDonald's in Canada, which has this program uh, called Our Food, Your Questions, where you can ask McDonald's any question that you want. Uh, and they will answer it. Uh, you know, people ask all kinds of crazy stuff about food quality. Some people beat up on McDonald's, and, and, you know, these questions are not softballs. And instead of running away from those questions, they answer all of them. And they've tracked this, and they've found a 30% increase in trust among people who they call the skeptical consumer just because of that program. Wow, that is really good. All right, and the third facet is real-time relevancy. Unpack that, Jay. Well, you are better off being massively useful in one circumstance than you are being kind of useful all the time. And what you want to be is the very best solution in one particular circumstance. So Taxi Mike is the best circumstance if you're standing downtown in Banff. One of my favorite examples of real-time relevancy uh, is from Columbia Sportswear, one of my clients on the consulting side, and they have a mobile application called What Not to Do in the Greater Outdoors, K-N-O-T, and it actually shows you how to tie knots right on your phone. Recently, I was uh, at a lake here in Indiana with a buddy, and we borrowed this boat from a friend, and our kids wanted to go inner tubing behind the boat. My buddy said, hey, how should we tie this inner tube to the boat? And I said, hey, I wasn't in the Navy, but wait, I have the knot app, and so I pulled it out, and it said, hey, do it this way, and so we did that, and the kids had a great time, So at that particular moment, Columbia Sportswear and their mobile app was real-time relevant. It was the best solution right then. And what's interesting about that, I think, is that Columbia Sportswear doesn't sell rope. Hmm. They're not in the knots business. But yet, as we mentioned, they gave themselves permission to make the story bigger. That's right. And because they did that, their brand was present in a circumstance where ordinarily they would have been totally absent. It wouldn't have been there at all. I love that. I, I want to I want to follow up there on story because we have a lot of different people listening in here today, Jay, and and maybe they're going, man, this is absolutely right on. This is what I need to do, but I'm a little bit stuck in figuring out how to make our story bigger and thus be able to create the value we've been talking about. How would you recommend they get unstuck on this? Yeah, you really have to transcend the transaction, right, and get out of the funnel mindset that says we have to give people things that culminate in a sale uh, directly. And so one of the ways to do that is to understand the difference between data and insights, right? We, we are surrounded by data, but we're starved for insights. We have more data than ever. We have more reports and spreadsheets and software and APIs than ever 
But I think because of that, we're often starved for insight. So if you really want to figure out your story, if you really want to figure out your utility, and I tell you, small businesses and entrepreneurs have it so much easier in this regard. If you really want to get a handle on this, go spend time talking to your customers. Make it a point to have customer conversations on a regular basis, on the phone, in person. Do that, and what they really need from you will, will serve. The insights will be there. I'm going to tell you something, folks. I rarely do this, but I'm going to stop the conversation and make Jay repeat what he said because I believe it's tweetable, and I think it is absolutely chock full of value. Jay, I'm going to set you up again, but what I heard you say is we are surrounded by data, but we are starved for insight. Is that right? Did I say that right? That's exactly right. Oh, people, listen to me. Write that down. Tweet it. Give him credit on Twitter. Uh, Jay, what's your Twitter handle? We're going to get this out there right now. Thank you, sir. It's at Jay Bear, J-A-Y-B-A. That is incredible, but I'm not just trying to get you some retweets, folks. I'm trying to help you. Jay, that was absolute gold. Let's keep going. I needed to uh, pause and and give that out. Okay, I want to move forward in the book. Chapter 8, I love this chapter. And again, we don't have time to cover it all, but again, give us a Cliff Notes version here because the title of the chapter is Map Customer Needs to Useful Marketing. And that last answer, as you ended, you said, hey, make sure you're regularly talking to your customers. And this is a wonderful setup here. How do we map customer needs to useful marketing? What's that look like? One of the keys to that piece of, of utility is, is not putting the execution horse uh, in the wrong order with the strategy cart. And this happens all the time. I see this every day, especially amongst small business and entrepreneurs who say, hey, Jay, we need a blog that blank, 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 or we need a podcast that blank, 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 or we need an infographic that blank, 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 and you don't. What you need to do is fulfill customer needs and create things that are so useful they would theoretically pay for them, then figure out what form that takes, right? Figure out what the gold is and then figure out what the mine is. We, we do it opposite all the time. It's human nature. We, we constantly go to the execution instead of focusing on what we're really providing that is valuable. Oh, that is good. All right, now going forward, Chapter 11, Make Utility a Process not a project. Boy, this is valuable. How do we begin after we do what you just said? We figure out the gold and then come up with the mine, right? And then how do we make this something that is so ingrained in the culture of our engagement with our customers that it is a process? Uh, Again, it requires you to sort of run counter to human nature. I I talk about utility all over the the world and and do presentations about this concept and workshops and things like that. And, And so often, can people come up to me afterwards or, or down the road and say, hey, we're really excited about this utility concept. We want to make this a part of what we do as a business. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to get a bunch of people together. We're going to have a brainstorm, and we're going to figure out how we can make marketing that's really useful. And, and while you know, I'm enthusiastic that people are enthusiastic, that's not necessarily the best way to do it because what are the chances that the great utility idea for your company or your business or your sole proprietorship is going to magically happen during that brainstorm. It's possible, Mm -hmm. but it's not likely. Because the one thing I've discovered 25 years in marketing is that inspiration doesn't respond to meeting requests. You know, you, you can't schedule greatness. And so the better way to go is to say, look, let's think of utility like a river that's always floating through our organization instead of like a lake that we have to go visit. And if you do that, if you always keep it sort of top of mind 
And the first thing you do is look at all your current marketing and say, how can we make it more useful instead of trying to build something from scratch? If you keep it top of mind, right, you'll start to see utility examples all around you. You'll be like, ah, that's one of those utilities that Jane Ken were talking about. <laughs> that's right. And then at some point, at some point, the really great idea will just pop into your head. All right, so I want to wrap our conversation around this because this is so good. And, folks, again, the name of the book, Utility, that's Y-O-U, Tility. we got to talk about keeping score. It's the last chapter of the book. And as you open the chapter, you just basically say, look, if you're going to make this more than just a kind of a cool concept and make it a process like you just told us how to do, uh, then you're going to have to measure it. And I want you to just break it down how we measure it. And, and then I want to let you just take that answer and move into this idea of sharing metrics, because I think that's really powerful. Yeah, I mean, eventually somebody, whether it's you or somebody else in your company, is going to say, is this, is this working? Uh, and, and the best way to do that is to figure out your measurement narrative before you start. Because when you try and figure out whether something worked after you've already started it, it's like pinstriping a car once it's moving. And, and I see people make that mistake all the time. They, they do something and then they say, hey, how do we know whether this is working? And you should have figured out what metrics to use before you started because you could have put tracking in place, things like that. It's very hard to measure in arrears. In terms of utility in general and, and your point about sharing metrics, there are four different categories of metrics. There are lots of individual measurements, but there's four categories of metrics. You have consumption metrics. So did anybody read this, click on this, watch this, etc.? You have the sharing metrics. Did people forward it? Did they retweet it? You have lead generation metrics, and then you have sales metrics. Now, depending on what kind of utility it is and depending on what kind of company you are, you may not be able to use all four of those categories, right? So if you're an e-commerce company, it's much easier to build an online utility and say, did this contribute to sales? If you're selling licorice, it's harder mm. because you don't know who bought the licorice. You just know when you go to restock the shelves, there's a hole there. That's right. So sometimes the trail goes cold when you, when you go online plus offline. But when you sit down and think about, okay, maybe if we don't know who bought licorice, maybe we interview our customers and say, okay, customers, how much licorice do you buy? Now, hey, did you use our mobile app? How much licorice do you buy? And you measure the difference between those two populations. Yes, that is good. Good, good, good stuff, folks. And again, Chapter 12, after you've gone through this book, really unpacks what Jay just laid out very quickly and efficiently for us. Uh, last question for you, Jay. I love this, folks, because uh, I, I knew we were going to talk about the book. I think this book is absolutely a must-read for people who believe they're doing work that matters. And every one of you are doing work that matters, so you got to dive into this. But I emailed Jay. Uh, prior to our interview, and I said, Jay, what's something new outside the book, something that you're being challenged by, or you're excited? And he said, Ken, I'm really excited about content and encouraging entrepreneurs, first-time entrepreneurs, fear this idea of maybe doing something, even if you're not a first-timer, but you're stepping into something new. And Jay, I want you to share your head and heart on that. You know, every entrepreneur is scared. And if they're not scared, they're a fool. And, and I have been an entrepreneur and own my own businesses now for, for a while. But I've been doing more speaking and uh, training recently around kind of getting started. Uh, and I do a lot of angel investing and things like that. And, you know, I, I want to tell you, I'm going to take a, a minute here to tell you my actual story. Um, I had wanted to start my own marketing services company for a long time. Uh, but I didn't because I was scared. 
was like, well, what if it doesn't work out and I have a family and what are we going to do? And, and so I had, a, you know, I had a good job being a marketing guy for a corporation and, you know, I was well compensated. I'm like, you know what? I'm too scared. There's no sense taking that risk. Well, that same time, my best friend married my wife's sister. So my best friend became my brother-in-law, which is a really good gig if, uh, if you can pull that off. I, I highly <laughs> recommend it. Uh, it's great for Thanksgiving. So, yes. uh, so we were having a, a fantastic time. And then, unfortunately, we were uh, young men at the time, he, uh, he came down suddenly with brain cancer. Mm. And the very next day, after he was diagnosed, uh, I walked into my company corporate job, uh, and I quit. Because I said, you know what, what am I really scared about here? This isn't a life-and-death situation. It just doesn't work out for me. Uh, I can go get a job with somebody else. Uh, and so I walked in, and I quit, and I've never worked for anybody else uh, another day in my life. Mm. And what I did that night, after he was diagnosed, I grabbed a piece of paper and a pen, and I just wrote down all the things that I was scared about. And I got to tell you, when you dimensionalize your fear like that, it changes the way you look at risk. Because when you think about fear in the abstract, it becomes so much more frightening than when you look at fear as a series of bullet points. And I really recommend that for all entrepreneurs. If you're stuck on something, if you're scared, if you're concerned, write down, name your fears, and it makes it so much easier to conquer them. He is Jay Bear. The book is Utility. That's Y-O-U, Utility, Why Smart Marketing is About Help not hype and it is a fantastic read chock full of goodness that will help you men and women do your work better jay we really really appreciate the book and we really appreciate you spending time with us today we're better for it my pleasure thanks for having me he is jay bear folks i cannot recommend this enough i think this is a must read and so we want to give you more information at our website entreleadership.com this is free we put a summary together of three chapters with huge to-dos for you. And they are on the website in a PDF form. It's absolutely free. You don't have to give us anything. We just want to give it to you. And so uh, this is perfect. We want to keep adding value to you. Eric, the producer, and I got together. We're like, five books is not enough. The Twitter universe is going nuts when we ask you to tweet. And and I'm starting to feel bad that we're only giving five books away. So I said to Eric, I said, let's ask the uh, author and the publisher if we can get 50 books. And I love his dad. He said, why not? That's what he said. Why not? So we asked, and they said yes. So 50 books this podcast. Are you ready for this? Very simple. Get ready to write this down or tweet it as you listen. Here's all you got to do to qualify. Since this is all about help, not hype, you tweet this. The at Entree Leadership Podcast helps me. The at Entree Leadership Podcast helps me. And Eric, here's what I want to do. We've done random drawings before. Can we do the first 50? The early bird gets the worm. I want to put some incentive out there for people. Now, we'll go back to random drawings, but this week, this is what we're going to do, because I want to honor you people who are hardcore and spreading the word. So that's what we're going to do. This is going to be great fun. Well, folks, we're excited about another new segment we're bringing to you this podcast. We love entrepreneurs. It's a part of our name. It is you, men and women entrepreneurs, who solve problems and give great solutions that add so much value to the people you employ and the people you provide solutions to. I recently ran into two former Entree Leadership Master Series alums here in our offices. I got to know them from Kansas City. 
They're Jill Schramm and John Schramm, co-owners of the Purple Guys. I love their story so much that I asked him if I could sit down with them. And this is our very first installment of Entree Leadership on Main Street. Well, it's great to have Jill Schramm in the studio with us. This is a great story, folks. I'm so excited about it because Jill is here in Nashville with her husband, John. They are the co-owners of the Purple Guys. This is a great story. And so take us back before you were the Purple Guys. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. We started the company in 2001. We were minority owners in another IT business, but we wanted to be the majority owners. We wanted to own the whole sure. company. So we made a decision after four years that it was time for us to move on and do something else. So resigned on the 10th. The next day is 9-11, and we launched our company October 7th of 2011. And the company was called Versant. We do IT support for small and mid-sized businesses. So, you know, Versant was a name that was a made-up name and mm-hmm. hard for people to remember and hard for people to spell. And people said Versant, Versant. But our company <laughs> logo, when when we had the company make it for us, um, was purple. Everyone picked it in purple, and but we weren't really using it as a branding tactic at, at all at the time. And um, all of our technicians, they all wore logoed shirts. And um, after about, I don't know, maybe a year and a half, I said, oh, John, it would be hilarious if we ordered purple shirts and had them logoed and had the guys wear these purple shirts. And our customers were like, hey, the purple guys are here. Right, sure. If if you have an IT question or computer question, ask the purple guys. Kind of transitioned our brand and we reversed the purple guys in Kansas City for a while and uh, then transitioned completely. And like our website is purpleguys.com. Our guys all wear logoed purple attire and... uh, You'll never see my husband, John, anywhere. You can see him at Costco or at the pool. Mm-hmm. He's got purple everything. Yeah. You just kind of made what appears to be a snap decision as we hear the story. You know, you kind of said, I like the purple logo. Yeah, it was just, we had purple pens that we gave yeah, out, but, but we was weren't using it as feel, branding. It was just, I just was like, I think that would be funny. And here's the point I want to make to our entrepreneurs out there. Sometimes we overthink and we stress. We're trying to grow a business. We're small business. And, and, and we're always thinking about what the edge is. And sometimes we don't just act. I guess is what I'm saying is yeah. there's a difference between thinking all the time and just acting. No, we'd had the purple pens and some other things that we had always done with our customers, but nothing caught on yeah. like the the brand identity of the purple guys. It's like we own everything yeah. purple in Kansas City. So well, I, that's huge. Know, no other businesses, anytime they do something purple, they assume it's us. And here's what I want to focus on is that you just kind of made an, a decision. It ended up working. Customers see your guys show up in purple shirts and they just say, well, the purple guys are coming because purple is a distinct color. It stands out a little bit. How long before you all realized, wait a second, we've got a real brand thing here and made the decision to change the name of the company. That's what I want to know. It probably took us. It probably took us a year or so to transition the name completely. We knew we were heading that direction, but we didn't want to just drop it. And you know, it's interesting. I could be standing in line at Starbucks in Kansas City, and you know, I got my purple purse. And I might have purple shoes on, and someone will turn around and say, "Hey, you must really like purple." And then it gives me an opportunity to yeah. say, "Well, actually, right. I own a company called the Purple Guys." Yeah. And then they say, it's "What beautiful. do you do?" And I then I get to tell that. them. I mean, I've gotten, I, we've gotten customers that way. And you really have begun to carve out this natural organic identity in Kansas City area. Uh, a couple things that come out here is simplicity, uh, listening to your customers. What have you guys learned? I'm putting you on the spot here, but what have you learned as you look back about that simple name change as to how it grew your company? I mean, can you, um, I guess, how do you quantify in this conversation the value of making the name change, the value of the brand, the purple guys? Well, you know, sometimes one of the things I think we learned from that is that Sometimes the simpler things just work better. And I also think that you got to have a little bit of whimsy and humor in sort of everything in oh, life. Oh, great I think sometimes word, whimsy. You, you, um, 
you just kind of can take yourself too seriously. So we've been able to do a lot of really creative things around the color and just purple. I mean, I think it's just a little bit fun. Like it makes you smile. And I think that it was just one of those things that like really hit yeah. home with the, with our customers. And also, um, you know, then for a lot of the people who are our prospects in Kansas City who get some of our drip marketing, et cetera, like they might not have remembered Versant, but they'll remember Oh, I purple. promise you that. Yeah. I want you to talk about uh, your early involvement with Entree Leadership. You all came, you and John came to the very first Master Series events. Take us back to that. I actually, I think I heard it on the radio and I, in my car, an advertisement for the Entree Leadership Master Series. And I was like, that sounds awesome. You spend so much time working in your business and not as much working on it. And to unplug and really take you know, a, a chunk of time and focus on it, I think is really important. So we went and I just thought it was great. Had an opportunity to, to meet Dave and his wife, Sharon, and actually uh, his daughter, Rachel, and da- his son, Daniel, were there. And um, But I thought, you know, one of the things that was really fascinating and great for, for us is to have a chance to interact with his team members who were down there. Yeah. One of the things that was really great about that is we made some really important decisions about the future of our business at the, on that trip. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just as far as what did we want to do long-term. And we had a partner in the business at, a time, at the time um, who we were both like, I don't know if that's, if that's the direction we want to take long-term. And um, so it was, it was really Good. great time. It was really valuable. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this may be a dovetail off of what you just said, but, but if you had to single out an area uh, or one thing that Entree Leadership has helped you all with your business, uh, how have we added value? I think that a couple things, I think for John, I think it was a lot about, you know, accountability for yourself. And I think for us as business owners, I think that that was a lot of it. It's like really making the decision that if you have something that's, that's not working is not in the best interest of anybody, not the families that, you know, or the employees that we have or um, any of our team members or for us or our, our family. I mean, this is our, this is a, this is a family business. We own this together and this is, you know, what pays our bills. And really taking action, I think, was the biggest thing, just in the stories Dave told and some mm-hmm. of the curriculum. And, you know, sometimes it's having a fierce conversation or whatever yeah. it is. But, you know, um, I think that's the, the, our biggest Empowered takeaway. you to kind of yeah. make some yeah. tough decisions. Well, this is great. Well, and, thank you so much, yeah. Ken, for having us. Well, and, I want to say to you all, thank you for your example. I think that our audience is better for this. Uh, I want to mention their website, yeah. purpleguys.com. John and Jill Schramm, thank you so much Thanks, for hanging out with us today. Thanks so much. That, again... The Purple Guys founders, husband and wife, Jill and John Schramm, love, love, love what they are about and what they are doing, and really fun to hear how Entree Master Series helps them. And I'll just mention very briefly, if you want to learn more about Entree Master Series, EntreeLeadership.com. It is not too late to get signed up for our latest Entree Leadership Master Series event, November 9 through 15. November 9 through 15 here in Nashville. Come to the Music City, enjoy some great music, some great food, and hang out with our team and the other Eagles that will be joining us November 9 through 15. It is going to be a fantastic week. EntreeLeadership.com, or you can call 888-22-PEACE, EntreeLeadership.com, or call 888-22-PEACE to get all the information you need so you can join us for our latest Entree Leadership Master Series. Well, leaders, that is going to do it for this episode of the Entree Leadership Podcast. Let me just tell you this. We appreciate you. We'd love to hear from you. Podcast at EntreeLeadership.com is the email address. 
You can tweet us at Entree Leadership, at Ken Coleman. I want to know more from you about what you want and what you need. Well, on behalf of our producer, Eric Anthony, and the entire Entree Leadership team, thank you for listening. We will talk with you again very soon. Mm-hmm.